Want to make an impact in your community and around the world in a fun and relatively easy way? Join Dressember in the fight against human trafficking. Thousands of advocates worldwide participate in a quirky style challenge every year by wearing a dress or a tie for 31 days in December to fundraise for international anti-trafficking efforts. Use the style challenge as a way to start conversations with your community about human trafficking and what we can do to end it. We know fundraising can be intimidating, so we have all the resources you need to hit the ground running, and we're with you every step of the way. Become an advocate today at dressember.org slash fundraise. Hi, and welcome to Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a Dressember podcast. I'm your host, Blythe Hill, and my co-host is Stephanie Schindler. In this series, we're talking with 11 survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation to find out what survivors wish the rest of us knew. In this episode, we're so grateful to be talking with Yenny Dewey, who shares her expertise on labor trafficking and exploitation within the garment industry. Yenny is a survivor of labor trafficking, a mother of three children, an artisan at the Little Market, and a member of the Garment Workers Center. Yenny was trafficked through an employment recruiter who promised her a well-paying job. She quickly learned that her recruiter fabricated the terms of her employment and that she was a victim of labor trafficking. Let's get into it. Yenny, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I just, I was so inspired a few weeks ago when you and I got to be on a panel together with Fairtrade LA. Um, your story is incredible, and I just love um, the the openness with which you shared. And I think there's, there's so much that our community can learn from you, and um, I think I, I know everyone's just going to find a lot of inspiration from you. So um, thank you for, for being here with us. Thank you for having me today. Yeah. And this is our first podcast that we're recording for this series. And I understand this is your first podcast ever as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we are in this together as newbies. <laughs> um, well, you have a really incredible story. I would love to just kind of start from the beginning a bit. Can you tell us about uh, where where you're from, where you grew up, and what, what life was like for you in your home country? Yeah, I originally from Indonesia. I came uh, to the U.S. in 2012. I was working in the several government com- company in Indonesia, in Jakarta before. And then I worked in the garment company in Malaysia for uh, three years contract. After the contract ended, I returned to Malaysia to work in the domestic service sector. And I was pursued to work in a restaurant in the U.S. for 1000 a month. Also provided with the housing, food, and time of work. America is... Uh, Everyone dream country, mm. right? With the promises of better job. In 2012, I uh, finally flew to uh, the US when I just landed in the LA airport. 
my passport and my document uh, are taken uh, for the safety reason, they say. But in the strange country, um, everything is new for me, um, especially when I don't speak uh, English or another language, only Indonesian language. I, I after that I lost my freedom because I was work without uh, any time limit. Everything that was promises uh, was just nonsense. Instead, I have to pay uh, the debt for all the costs and the processing when I came to the US. I have to pay back to them. And I um, don't get any uh, pay. I'm just working like from 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning, uh, circling like that. No a holiday, no time off. Like I feel like robot. So I decided to escape. Mm. Because my body is cannot take it anymore because it's too tired. Mm. It's tired. I don't get paid. When I I ask for uh, my salary, they say you have to pay the debt. What debt did they say that you owed for all the travel and six thousand? But okay. they only pay me two hundred a month. And no room, no, no food, no room, no, no um, a time off. Uh, before they promised me one thousand, they only pay me two hundred a month. So a way far for me to pay six thousand. And this, they said it was a restaurant job. Is that what you ended up? But it's not restaurant. It's working in the house. Before there is big house. Before they have um, um, worker for nanny to take care of the kid and uh, the lady for the uh, cleaning and the other guy to clean the uh, outside from the house. But after I came, uh, there is no one. Only me take care of all the work when I have time. Like rest time they take me to the other place to clean up the uh, toilet in the offices in other place so i don't have um any communication like telephone i don't have um only work and work and work so yenny at this time i know you have two children was one of your children with you while you were in this situation no, when I came here, it was uh, my big opportunity. I left my uh, son in Indonesia with my mom. Uh, I left him and I flew to the U.S. And I, after uh, escape from the trafficking situation, start in the living uh, out from the trafficking situation, I work in the government company with uh, one family, one family, one Mexican family, the Good Samaritan, for me, help me to share uh, their sofa for me to sleep and the blanket and the food. And uh, 
I start my life in the U.S. Uh, with the fears, and I, um, my employee, my employer, uh, threatened my family in Indonesia too. So I keep hiding because I have to survive. My son in in my country waiting for me, so I have to. Uh, stay alive, I have to survive, I have to keep work, I have to set aside all the traumatis mm. I've been through. I um, I finally uh, find a good family, um, Mexican family now is be my family mm. uh, in the U.S. Wow. Yeah, Yanni, something I would love for our listeners to understand is the the decision to leave Indonesia, Malaysia, leave your mother and your son. Um, I think so many of us are removed from making a decision like that, that um, the opportunity that you were presented, $1,000 a month and your own uh, apartment, can you contrast that with what the current opportunities were for you in Indonesia or Malaysia, what you were currently earning to help us understand how big of an opportunity this seemed to be for you? Uh, U.S. Uh, work in the U.S. opportunity is big. A thousand a month uh, for life in Indonesia, like um, for six months mm. or more like that. That I think I gonna work only for two month, uh, two years in the U.S. If I if that right to pay me one thousand month, and then and I promise I gonna work only two years and come back uh, to Indonesia. That's it. After get money because I'm thinking before uh, one thousand a month when I keep it in uh, in the bank. Uh, two for two years is enough for me to continue my life with my son in my country. Yeah, that's that's so that's good to understand. I think it's important for us to understand that you were given an opportunity to make six times what you could would be making in Indonesia or Malaysia, and that the the decision to do that was a temporary one, but it was with your family in mind. I think that's a really important piece that maybe if we skip over it too fast, people might not understand the decision to leave family and leave your home, but just how big of an opportunity that was for you. Um, when you when you were able to escape, what, what did that look like? I mean, you said you were hiding. You said uh, you were afraid. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any documentation. I don't have passport. I... I, I am a, a legal, illegal uh, person in the U.S. So I was a criminal because that um, that what my employer said to me before: if you are here in the U.S. without documentation, the the police cannot catch you and put you in the jail. So even the people say, "Let's go outside. There is nothing." But I believe there is something because I, I'm wrong here. I am a criminal. I am uh, illegal. That's why I 
uh, start to feel like let me uh, let me survive just uh, earn money send money to Indonesia and that's it I don't have any dream any anything uh, what I want just let me earn money I don't have any freedom I don't talk with anyone. I'm scared all the time. I don't have my own uh, own time to rest, to to be human. Like in the garment industry, yes, I was exploited. But in the beginning, I don't know because um, I just feel this is my place. Garment industry uh, is good place to hide mm. because many company is. Um, Closing the door, hiding place. This is good for me to hide. Mm. And, and 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 then until the company was uh, closed and left me uh, with three weeks without payment, then I don't know what I have to do. Just find another um, a job in the same sector in the garment industry as a sewing operator. But. Um, um, when I uh, first time realized to work in the garment industry is uh, very, very different away from a garment industry in my country. I just agree because I don't know the the uh, the rule. Mm-hmm. I thought is that's okay like that. I living in the someone place and I, I don't pay. They give me the food, one hundred and twenty five a week. It's a good money for me. I can send it uh, to my country 200 a month. But uh, after my com- uh, the company don't pay me, I think I feel it's unfair. I was uh, working every day, wake up in the morning and the company just closed and hey, where is my payment? I see how working in the garment industry could have provided a sense of relief when you're in survival mode because you technically have time to rest on Saturday and Sunday. You have money to send home to your family in Indonesia. That was a goal of yours. So you're working towards that goal. And there's some sense of autonomy to a degree. But at the same time, I've heard you say over and over where is the opportunity to be human, to have this sense of dignity and respect and purpose when it comes to work? And so when you reached this period of time where you had three weeks of no pay and the job was over, what came next for you? I uh, see uh, two organizers from the one organization, Garment Worker Center, the flyering in the uh, Broadway and 8th Street after work. I see them two time. In the first, in the beginning, I just asking what, what are you doing? What are you guys talking about? I, they explained me uh, in English, but I thought, I think I don't understand that th- I, on uh, that time what they're talking about. This. She said that I can help you to file wage claim if your employer uh, don't pay me 
I think that is like, oh, it's happened to me. Yeah, just come to the office. We can help you. And I don't come. And the other, uh, the other time, I see them again on the street. Hey, do you remember me? I want to come to the office. Uh, my employer don't pay me three months. What I have to do? Just come to the office. And I come to the office. And they don't understand what I say because my English is broken. And I just tell, oh, this company don't pay me. So they're processing me, uh, file my um, wage claim in the labor commission. And they help me to file my wage claim. And then I become a member of the German Worker Center organization. There's so much about your story that you, you've been through so much, and I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody that you followed an opportunity to provide for family and take a big risk, come to a new country where you didn't speak the language, and then everything, the whole script was flipped on you, and you were trafficked. And I really admire the courage to escape and run away and and then try again with a, a job in the garment industry in Los Angeles. Um, and what at first seemed like a good opportunity, like, hey, I'm getting paid, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm able to send money home. Um, the, the quick realization that like, oh, this is a different kind of exploitation in itself. The Dressember Ethical Fashion Directory makes it easy to support the dignity and respect of all people with your everyday shopping choices. Go to dressember.org directory where you can browse ethical clothing options for adults and children that Dressember vets with standards set by the International Labor Organization and the Fair Trade Federation. Every purchase you make through the Dressember Ethical Fashion Directory supports dignified, fair work practices and our mission of dismantling trafficking from every angle. Shop ethically today at dressember.org directory. I want to make sure that people listening understand what it's like for the 40,000 or roughly 40,000 garment workers in Los Angeles, what life is like. And you used um, a term, peace rate that workers are paid piece a piece rate. Can you explain what that means? I've been member of the GWC and then I get uh, training. Why every single worker paid by piece rate by different rate? Who is the, the person uh, um, give the prices? Can we um, discuss about pricing? But member in the uh, garment worker don't get answer because we don't have um, like a place to uh, um, to to put our complaint with but the reality we don't even get minimum wage so what we have to do we we keep fight with the retail who don't pay enough uh, or salary, we keep fight with the, a lot of company who, who practicing um, wage theft, but the situation is not changing. 
because we don't have union. We have to uh, fight through legislation and uh, release the SB 62, uh, uh, then uh, we win. Quick note here, under SB 62, California employers can no longer pay employees engaged in the performance of garment manufacturing by piece rate. This is huge. Employers must now pay garment workers at an hourly rate that is not less than the applicable minimum wage. Piece rate compensation plans are super common in a lot of industries. Piece rate compensation allows an employer to pay an employee a fixed amount of money for each piece or unit produced regardless of the number of hours the employee worked. So in the garment industry, this is often um, based on the number of seams that a garment has. So a t-shirt would have two seams, really, maybe three. I'm not a garment worker, so I'm not sure. It's either two or three, but they are paid pennies per seam. And so for an entire garment, they might be paid 12 cents. Yeah, so what I what I hear you saying is the, de- the system by design is meant to keep workers powerless. There's no HR. There's no one to go to to negotiate your your raid or ask questions or file complaints. And, and that's intentional. And nothing is changing that until some of this new legislation is coming about. Um, I think more people are realizing that there is exploitation within apparel, but they think that it's still happening in other parts of the world. And so it's important to understand, well, Los Angeles is the center of manufacturing in America, and there's a lot of exploitation still happening there. Um, Can you tell us what, what life looks like for you now? How did you, how and when did you transition out of this exploitative job in manufacturing to where you're working now. Starting when the pandemic, right? We I don't work anymore in the garment industry because it stopped, like stop. I have three kids, I have to stay home. But the organization, the Garment Worker Center create a work from home for the worker who have lost a job. The project is making face masks. There is a Another organization, the name is Al Otro Lado, is the immigration organization in the in the border. They work together with GWC, so we were making uh, the the face mask and then send it to the detention center in the in the border uh, to protect the uh, the kid and the people mm. the border center. So mm. it was great opportunity to me. Working from home, that is good uh, support opportunity for this organization. After that, they have one one group uh, collaboration, like Resilient Voices, collaboration with the TLM, uh, the Little Market, uh, Fair Trade um, Shop. To, uh, we are one group to make um, uh, sugar scrub from home. So there is five people working from home to earn money as an artisan, pay by good wages. So now I'm still working as an artisan. Can you say again what you're making for the little market? I'm making sugar scrap. What's that? Uh, Let me uh, get the product sample. Like a body exfoliator? 
A scrub. Oh, a sugar scrub. Sugar scrub. Awesome. Yes. Love a good scrub. This is um, our product. Ooh, vanilla sugar scrub. Yeah. By Yenny. By Yenny. It says your name on it. Okay, so we're going to have to link so that everyone can buy this. Like, I'm going to go after this and just and buy me some sugar scrub off the little market. Yeah, yes. this is red thread. Uh, the, the material comes from red thread soap, uh, like sugar and essential oil and etc. They're natural. Mm. So this is Fair Trade product. <laughs> we so love Fair Trade. Yes, um, I'm so happy to hear that you are now doing empowered work that is making a difference in other people's lives. Yeah, and, you know, there's something to recognize that you went through really, really difficult things where you were treated so unfairly. And now you have this like purpose-driven work to help other folks who may be treated unfairly in this moment as well. Um, I see the joy in your face. I hear it in your voice when you're talking about these new opportunities that you've um, been pursuing. And I'd love to hear about some of the things that you do now that make you feel human in your downtime when you're not working for others, when you just get to be with yourself? You know, uh, when I be a member of DWC, I don't think about activism. What is that? I'm not activist. <laughs> I am survivor. I like when I say I am survivor. I don't present me as an activist or a hero or something like that. No, I just survive in this country but if my story can help someone that really make me happy because when I be a victim I feel very alone I just feel like get the money and that's it <laughs> you don't have dream you don't have nothing just uh, be quiet in this country and um and that's it. But it's, I realize it's not right like that. Mm. When I be a uh, human trafficking, yes, I can I cannot speak up because I I be very scared. My my family in Indonesia get threatened bad. I am a free pe- uh, people. In the garment industry, I have freedom too. Freedom to speak. Freedom, uh, freedom to fight. That's I'm not right in the exploitation situation. That's a different uh, uh, between uh, trafficking situation uh, and the uh, uh, labor exploitation. Even exploit, you still keep. Uh, you you can speak up and fight by your right. You mentioned resilient voices, which we. We know and love through um, through Cast, uh, which is one of our the December Network partners that we have. Um, have you been able to pursue um, citizenship or a visa, or, or where does your um, what's your status now in the government organization? And the lawyer come to the organization, interviewing uh, every single member. 
uh, why you here, how you come here, and I I feel very surprised one day um, one lawyer tell me you need a lawyer please please uh, find her a lawyer because she was being trafficked me being trafficked yes you came here being trafficked let me find pro bono lawyer uh, immigration lawyer for you and uh, they uh, give me one pro bono lawyer for my T visa case and then I I got T visa and the processing to bring my son here in the US in 2019. Then after my T visa close, I filed for the green card visa by case lawyer Elizabeth. So right now I'm still waiting for my adjusting status for be a green card. But the case organization. So my life is supported by a lot of organizations. <laughs> yeah, there's so many things that stand out from what you just said. I mean, first of all, congratulations for being on. I know it's a long process and a long journey. I'm sure you've had to deal with a crazy amount of paperwork. Um, but just being on the pathway towards green card uh, is amazing and and I'm I'm glad to hear that there were different organizations that were able to support you in that process. Something we hear from survivors a lot is sometimes it takes years for a person to to know to realize that they were trafficked. And and you said that and I'm I'm curious how long, how many years maybe from running away, escaping your trafficking situation until that moment of realization. How many years passed between those? Uh, I came to uh, I came to 2012 and be an organization in 2015 and then 2018 late late 2018 my uh, my visa, uh, my T visa is approved and then 2019 my son came here like how many years? A long journey. Yeah, years, years. I think that's just the main point. You know, when I walk in the dark tunnel and I don't see nothing, the DWC is like a small light. I follow Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that small light. And I, I imagine it took a lot of courage to follow that light because there was so much fear of, of your status as an immigrant. And by, by the speaker, um, so in the public, I see there's a lot of people like me. There is uh, Indonesian people. I find Indonesian community because I speak mm. in the uh, in the university, and I find someone. Are you Indonesian? Yes, I'm Indonesian. Me too. We have community. We have mm. community. So I find the Indonesian community before I living as a Mexican. I live uh, like three, four years, like only Mexican. I am uh, Latina. <laughs> I I learn uh, Spanish first before English. Wow. Wow. I have Mexican family. Yeah. In, uh, in, uh, instead, the Indonesian family after that. <laughs> I'm so glad that you found 
if you're developing Indonesian community, because yeah, I can imagine like the sense of family that would come through shared trauma, through the ways that um, you were exploited and, and the, the Mexican community that embraced you, that you had all been through a similar experience, but then it's just so different when, I mean, you, you've been here now, um, 10 years and, and, and finally, yeah, happy 10 years, (laughs) but to find, to find community with, with people from Indonesia is, is really, sounds like a really beautiful gift. Yeah. When I was, uh, and I was low, I don't know there is restaurant, Indonesian restaurant. I don't know there is Indonesian people. Mm. When I find the community, they, they give me like a lot of Indonesian food that I don't eat uh, so many long. I wow. Said, oh my God. I eat a lot. Like, I know I I uh I miss my language. Mm-hmm. I miss my food, but I miss my culture. I miss I miss my uh, my back country. I miss my everything back there. Uh, when now I I can uh talk with my family uh, uh anytime I want. I can uh, eat Indonesian anytime I want. I make it. I I can mm. buy it. I think being reintroduced to food that is so familiar is such a homecoming. <laughs> it feels so good, and and to hear other people speak your language, it's just it's like your bones just set right <laughs> in your body. Um, that that to me is that returning to a sense of humanity uh, returning to a sense of self where you can have pleasure in food and joy in community not just where is my next paycheck coming from um do i have to look behind my shoulder to see if there's an immigration officer or to you know if there are the folks who are exploiting me how how nearby are they that stuff starts to fade away and you get to make space for all this beautiful humanity that's so true to who you are, no matter where you are in the world, no matter how spread out your family is. It's just, it's it's really incredible how healing community can be. Yeah, there's something really, I think, really freeing about integrating your identities. Like you are on the road to becoming an American, but you're also still Indonesian. And you're kind of Mexican in a way too, <laughs> socially. Um, so I love that. It's really, it's really beautiful to see those pieces come together in like a beautiful tapestry. Um, well, one thing, one I guess, tor- like last thing is we've talked a lot about the garment industry and some of the um, just the brokenness of that system and how workers are treated. Um, and I know something that you and I talked about on the panel that we were on a few weeks ago is the idea of responsibility, like who is responsible for changing uh, the apparel industry. Um, it's a question a lot of people have talked about, but there's, you know, us on the consumer side and the buying choices we make. There's the businesses who are selling products. Um, and then beyond that, there's the government and laws and legislation. In your opinion, who is responsible for um, fixing the brokenness in within the apparel industry. 
it is not single person uh, responsibility because it is not only um like who is uh, more responsible it is um it is all of um uh consumer government and business brand uh, responsibility together of everyone have a uh, responsible different responsible to take a part of the responsible yeah i 100% agree it's going to take all of those pieces working together well i think for our very last question steph did you want to ask that yes so, you know, the crux of this Dressember podcast is passing the mic to survivors of human trafficking and giving them the platform, giving you the platform to share what you wish people knew about human trafficking. So I'd love to know, you know, what's the one thing overall that you wish people knew about human trafficking? Uh, human trafficking is a hidden crime. It's happened to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Uh, even myself, I don't know. Um, I was a victim of trafficking by the situation. Um, someone take me here and promise me as uh, like good opportunity without I'm thinking this is right or not, but because this is good opportunity, I blind to come here without any knowledge, without any um, um, language uh, like English, I don't, just come here as by uh, the money I have to pay back that's normal for me but it's not uh, it's not normal in the US is when I think um, I have to pay the debt mm. I think that's it's normal but mm. here it's not normal that is not normal if the people um uh, force me to work more than it's not normal if the uh, other people who treat me um, unfair wages it's that's normal if someone out there feel like that please uh, contact the human uh, trafficking if somebody know or suspect uh, trafficking happen, don't jump up to be hero. Just call a hotline, the human trafficking. The National Human Trafficking Hotline's number is 1-888-373-7888. You can also text HELP or INFO to 233-733. 24 hours a day, seven days a week because someone exploit me, treat me, force me and um, to work or, or to do something that I don't want to. It's unnormal, just uh, find the help. Don't be scared. 
because I was scared before. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I think that the the cloud of coercion and threats that come with being trafficked is very thick. And it can be so hard to recognize when you're being trafficked. It can be hard for, you know, I hear you speaking directly to folks. If, if there's someone listening here who may know someone um, or is feeling these things personally, it can be really hard to recognize um, when you're that scared. Um, and when people are so powerful around you. So, you know, I'm I'm so grateful that you were brought to see you were you were provided a pathway out. You you escaped and you were you received education and you explored your own education on your fair wages and fair treatment. And you now can define and absolutely know what is OK and what is not OK, what is normal, what is not normal as you're sharing. And, you know, I appreciate so much you sharing your story and, of course, you trying to pay it forward <laughs> and trying to help anyone who could be as scared as, as you once were to just call this hotline or call the hotline on behalf of someone else, the human trafficking hotline. And it's it's a really amazing thing to just hear how empowered you are now. Um, over the events of your life and moving forward, what you're willing to commit to, what you're willing to invest in and what you're seeking from this world. That's, that's what I hear from you is that sense of incredible empowerment. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah, I just want to also say thank you. I think our community is really going to be inspired by you and your story. Thank you for being so open with us. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a Dressember podcast. We are all needed in the fight against human trafficking, and Dressember is here to equip and empower you to advocate for the dignity of all people. We host a style challenge every December where people pledge to wear a dress or tie for 31 days. The style challenge provides a fun, impactful way for even the busiest person to engage in this important issue. And it's proven to be a powerful way to raise awareness and vital funding for anti-trafficking work. Since 2013, thousands of advocates have raised roughly $16 million to fight human trafficking from every angle around the world. This year is the 10th anniversary of the Dressember Style Challenge, and we need your advocacy to help make our biggest impact to date. You can join the Dressember community in the fight against human trafficking at dressember.org slash fundraise, or learn more at dressember.org slash how it works. And remember, it's bigger than a dress.